0: Hello listeners and welcome to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. We're really excited to be entering a new phase of the podcast series where we will be celebrating the 125th anniversary of the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, 125 years. To do this, we will be hosting conversations about the ways in which the Global South and the Global North have learned from each other. And the valuable collaborations that have and are continuing to shape global health policies and practices and of course specifically related to engaging communities and people. This week's guests we have Zachariah Hassan from Liverpool here in the UK who is a community champion for Merseyside Somali Community Association and Kalmol Youth Development. We also have with us Mandela Aguchi from Nairobi, Kenya who is a Project Officer for Continuous Quality Improvement in Health Services at LVCT Health. Mandela also has experience in community development and will be sharing that with us today. But as always, we have a brand new co-host to really help us steer the conversation in an interesting and meaningful way. Amina Ismail, welcome to the podcast. Tell us about yourself and about the project.
1: Hi, Kim. Thank you for welcoming me to the podcast. My name is Amina Ismail. I am a community mobiliser at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. And for the past eight months, I've had the pleasure of working on the Liverpool Vaccine Equity Project. It is a project that has basically taken lessons learned in Kenya and the global south, adapted them to a Liverpool context. The project saw some of the similarities that existed between experiences in terms of access and health systems in the global south and the experiences of communities here with a focus on uptake around vaccination uptake in light of COVID-19. So the project itself, one of the things that the local authority here, the council in Liverpool, Liverpool City Council identified was they saw that in the most deprived areas in Liverpool, that people were not getting vaccinated. They tried lots of different things around basically convenience and arranging vaccination pop-ups and other things, but people still were not getting vaccinated so it was around looking at an alternative way of increasing vaccination uptake in those areas and achieving health equity. LSTM has been using community-based approaches to improve health equity for a long time and it's been brilliant working here and taking those lessons from the Global South as I've mentioned before. I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with Mandela, Zach and yourself about the project.
0: I can really hear your passion to really uh, have that connection with communities and people. The vaccine equity program, how did it go in practice? Did vaccine inequity decrease?
1: The teams that I worked with have been across the city and they had a real impact in terms of vaccination uptake. You're going to meet Zach, who is in our community innovation team in South Liverpool. There was an 11 11- percent difference in vaccination uptake from the innovations the activities that the teams you know came up with and delivered in the local area so yeah it's, it's been absolutely brilliant and they created some real assets that hopefully we'll be able to talk about later as well in the form of good news stories to get people talking about vaccinations and their experiences
0: Fantastic. I look forward to hearing more about that. Let's meet our guest, Mandela from Nairobi. How are you today? Tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do.
2: Hello, Kim. Hello, everyone. Thank you for welcoming me to this podcast. I am Mandela Guche. Uh, I work at Elvisity Health Organization. I serve as a project officer for continuous quality improvement. In the project that we do, basically quality improvement, we ensure that service delivery at all levels. Pretty much I have a background in community development and I've served as a research officer in community development interventions in Kenya, mostly in Migori County and a part of Kisi and Laikipia County.
0: Thanks very much. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about Kisi County What is the context like there? What are the things that you have to consider when you're connecting with communities to understand their needs for services?
2: For this particular podcast, my interest will be to talk about a program that we actually did in Migori County. Migori County communities are predominantly from low middle class, and then they have a lot of diverse kind of cultures. This is because Migori has a set of several tribes The study was joining three approaches. The approaches was one doing what we call point-of-care testing. So in point-of-care testing, we were trying to ensure that pregnant mothers at the community level do not have a long waiting hours at the facility level. In our communities, we use community health volunteers to actually enable access to services of the primary facilities. These are dispensaries and health centers. So, in this intervention, the four by, four by four pilot study, we ensure that our CHVs who are involved in this pilot study were issued out with pregnancy testing kits. The aim for this was to make sure the we are able to detect pregnant mothers early enough so that they can start an antenatal health care at the facilities. Then the last bit that this project was actually involved with in was the quality improvement aspect of it. This is just to ensure we were just trying to make the community know that if you train the community people and then you integrate trainings they have towards giving key messages at the community level then we will have a different change of mind of towards access of quality services in their respective health facilities
0: Thanks very much. Just to clarify, ANC is antenatal care and CHVs is community health volunteers. Moving over to Zach. Zach, welcome to the podcast. It is the time for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. But also, I think the work you're doing is very similar in taking some of these community engagement ideas over to Liverpool. So tell us about yourself and tell us about Liverpool.
3: Hello, Kim and the guests and the listeners. Nice to meet you all. I'm Zach from Liverpool. I'm a community champion for Mez Somali Community Association. This is in partnership with another organization called Calma Youth Development. My role as a community champion is literally trying to reduce health inequalities by using the community. I'm a member of the local community, so I have a strong residence here and I'm closer to the community, so I'm more trusted. The worst impacted communities of COVID in Liverpool was the most deprived areas. I went into community and I started working with the local residents in translation services and going to appointments with the people that needed support. My work at Calm Youth was mainly working with the youth and the next generation of kids, inspiring the next generation. From all of this, I created my own organisation, which is a mental health sports organisation. Two things that I love is community and sport. So I, I kind of like put them together also, like, you, uh, there's a rise in mental health after during COVID-19. That's how I realised that there was an opportunity to open a mental health sports organisation to support the community. We have a football team, we have a basketball team, we have a walking club, and hopefully in the future we're going to have women specific things, such as yoga for Muslim women who can't attend gyms due to cultural barriers and religious barriers.
0: There's so much of interest there. I think Mandela shares your basketball interest there as well. So that's, that's one connection. Your passion for community development comes through really strongly. What do you get from being a community champion? What are the benefits for you on a personal level?
3: On a personal level, it's mainly just satisfaction. I could have went into accountancy and probably earned double, triple maybe. My parents, they wanted me to go into accountancy. They fled the war in Somalia 30 years ago. For me to be maybe like, try to do the best I could. But for me, it's not about the money. Just helping people, that's something that's part of me and who I am. So that it gives me personal satisfaction. And I enjoy doing good things.
0: Thank you very much for sharing that with us. In terms of just listening to Mandela in Kenya and some of the things that are being done there, is that similar to Liverpool? And what lessons did you draw from other contexts like Kenya?
3: One of the things that I forgot to mention was the community innovation teams that that we had in Liverpool. It, It was inspired by Kenya. The community innovation team involved community champions like myself and I just like local residents and just normal people that... Have normal jobs working in the community. Then I had people with different occupations and completely different walks of life. You had people, doctors, GP doctors. You had um, the likes of LSTM community mobilizers like like Amina. Um, and you had different types of people on a table. We were all so happy with it. It wasn't easy, it took hard work. I could go to my neighbors or organize a health event and speak. It's a blessing, to be honest, that I'm in a position like that, where the community will talk to me about. The issues and why they're not taking the vaccine That's why the project was so successful
0: thank you for our listeners and myself paint us a picture of the day-to-day thoughts you might have around covid vaccine hesitancy what kind of cultural things and what kind of social norms and economic factors do you have to consider when you're talking to people and trying to get them engaged in a behavior change
3: I think when COVID-19 came out, there were so many myths that were going around. And my job as a community champion was myth-busting. For the community, that's always been pushed down. It's easy for them to not trust the government and to not trust the NHS and put them all in the same bracket and say, oh, we're not going to trust the services overall. It's easy for them because they've had the worst and they've had the, the tough end of the stick. It was on nice us to really just go into them and explain to them, listen, the vaccine's OK all these rumors that were going around. My community is WhatsApp, people are going on WhatsApp and spreading WhatsApp Broadcast of oh, the vaccine will give you infertility. Oh, the vaccine has um, gelatin in it. That was one of the big ones for the Muslim community because we're, we're not allowed gelatin in and pork. There were so many things that were spread that were incorrect. It was on us to go into the communities and myth bust and explain to the people that this is not true and tell them what's going on and what's in the vaccine. The likes of the community innovation team, we all came together primary care network the doctors the GPS the communities LST we all came together to do pop-up events so we can get people in vac- getting people vaccinated also post and given our cards and leaflets
0: thank you very much that's really useful. Mandela does this resonate with you in Kenya as well this issue of trust and misbuilding and understanding kind of cultural factors is that something that you have to think about on a daily basis when trying to engage with communities around and to to care and other health services?
2: you find the meets are diverse. For me, in my experiences, there's a lot of capacity in the community level. It doesn't have to be formal. Mm-hmm. It could be informal. The level of experience at the community is quite huge. They might not put it into paper or they might not put it in a formal way. But then if a community mobilizer or a community developer just has a time to sit down with community members, you actually learn a lot from them. If I can give, for instance, uh, the COVID-19 uh, issue in Kenya. Uh, There was a lot of restraint in terms of do we trust the vaccine, do we believe it's actually in Kenya, or this is a a foreign disease, it cannot affect Africans, or something like that. So it takes a lot of convincing and talking to people so that they can actually accept vaccination and try to keep COVID measures at bay. One other factor that sometimes affects the communities is the fact most community members actually observe what "quote the bright people" do. You remember some of our healthcare providers; they also resisted. Um, that's why we feel community empowerment is very paramount to developing a community. There's an, an element of mistrust and a lot of communication that needs to go around. So, for me. I think because of the diverse tribal or cultural practices, there's need for a lot of communication. Uh, There are those practices that you can actually keep, and then there are those cultural practices that are a a bit harmful to the community members. I'll give a livid example to a community that I worked in Kenya. This community had a religious background. The religious background was actually deterring their followers to accept medical services from facilities. In this sense, they will tell them that actually God will heal you or Jesus or whoever it is that they are following. In the aspect of antenatal care, you realize that mothers will not go to accept health services at the facilities. This was leading to a lot of medical problems for mothers who lead to postnatal deaths or prenatal deaths and certain complications at facility level. What we did is actually engage the yes, the as we call traditional birth assistants. So you bring them on board, have a conversations with them, you actually train them on the importance of receiving medical services at facility level. So you realize the TBAs helped us tremendously to change the narrative at the community level. This is very key for our listeners to know that the community harnesses a lot of capacity. If it is tapped in the right way, we will have a lot of change in our community setups, and then people will start accepting proper ways of life and ensuring that they have healthy living. And then they can also demand for their rights in terms of quality of healthcare, both at the community level and at the facility level. I think Zach's experience resonates with mine. It's just that in ours we have you have to deal with different tribes differently because they come with different religious beliefs and something like that.
3: The comparison between two different communities so far apart across the world, in Kenya and in the UK, shows if you trust the communities and you go into the communities, you can do big things. That's what this project has done.
0: I think that's wonderful. I know, Amina, you have shared similar experiences and are probably itching to share more. So I'm going to hand over. Thank you for highlighting also that the community has its own strengths and its own capacities, and drawing on that is a key part of it. I really like this concept of influence in the narrative, changing the narrative in different communities that resonates with their beliefs and their systems of learning and systems of culture. Amina, over to you to explore a little bit more. Thank you very
1: much, Kim. And thank you, Mandela and Zach. You've given me so much to think about. There were lots of times that I wanted to interject and you know, totally agree with your point of view and support what you were saying. Um, but I feel that last part of the conversation around capacity and communities and recognising the expertise within communities I think it leads perfectly to what the question I'm going to ask you in terms of the Liverpool-based vaccine equity project. We took the quality improvement model that was used in Kenya and we applied that here in Liverpool. Part of that was creating these community innovation teams that Zach talked about earlier with all these different representatives sitting around the table, but also we used the five C's model, which was really great around looking at convenience, complacency, looking at collective responsibility, looking at calculation and confidence using that five c's model that's where the behavioral insight survey that the community innovation teams here in the uk and liverpool that's where the it was framed around this five c's model one of the things that i noticed was that in the early stages when we sat in those community innovation team meetings we were asking the teams what do you think is going on in the community why do you think there's such a low vaccine uptake in those communities that you're working in after the survey was conducted it blew my mind that actually the things that you'd identified as community champions and as people working within those communities actually were the things that people said and we were able to support that with data so keeping that in mind what separates, and I'll start off with Zach, what do you think it is that separates the way that you work with communities to other service providers, so here primary care networks or public health providers or hospitals or GPs? What is it that separates your way of working with communities to theirs? I
3: think the biggest separation is probably the trust that the community have on me. As a local member, they've probably seen me grow up as a young lad and They've seen me develop and they know me personally, they know my family, they know my parents. So that, that's probably the biggest separation and the biggest difference. Also, approach is different. Um, for example, sometimes we put on like community events and different get-togethers, maybe like a party. And then at the end of the party, there's bullet pressure checks or <laughs> there's vaccination the bus outside.
1: Just as a quick follow up to that, unknown to that community, you've lived in that community, you've grown up in the communities that you're working in and that you're basically connecting with now. How much of an impact do you think that's had? You've kind of suggested it's impacted in terms of vaccination uptake earlier on, but in terms of people getting their BP checks and other health priorities, how do you think it's made a difference to those communities?
3: It's all about different ways of engaging with the community. Mental health has a massive stigma in the communities that I work with. I've talked to community through sports with my own personal organisation. It's called Granby Toxic Athletic. We put on training sessions and we go on walks to nice places that people have never been, just to get people talking and just to get people discussing things that maybe they wouldn't typically talk about. It's slowly increased from the beginning When we first started, now I get messages all the time. When's the next walk or when's the next health event? That means what we're doing is good and it's working.
1: Thank you, Zach. I I think it's definitely listening to yourself and Mandela today. I think it's something that you should be proud of. I'm going to build on that with Mandela, because Zach talked a little bit about conversations now. And Mandela, you were talking about conversations earlier and the importance of having conversations within the communities that you know. So could you please also give some examples of what separates your way of working with communities to the other service providers in
2: Kenya? One thing that separates us from what others do it is because we get into communities that sometimes we do not have a... Uh, clear understanding of their ways of life or their cultures, we really rely on research to actually give us information of their needs in regard to a project that we are implementing in that particular, say, county or community. So using research to really know the community's need is key for us to know what we are going to support in terms of changing or in terms of implementing a project that is aiming at improving their health or uh, sustainability in terms of service delivery. In communities, we have a tool that we developed. Uh, and I know LSTM, the team, Vicky, Dior, Ariam, and the rest, we came up with a tool that is very vital. It's called Community Follow-Up Tool. Community Follow-Up Tool normally helps us to get the experiences. It gives us an opportunity to have a conversations with beneficiaries of certain services in a community. Once we get this research angle, then we are able to also give the community members a platform to actually identify their own problems within that project so that they come up with solutions in their own way on how we can improve certain health interventions in their areas. So I think that is what separates us uh, with other people, because giving them a platform to change the narrative in their communities or to give solutions to what they're supposed to be doing rightly in terms of health service delivery.
1: Thank you, Mandela. I think you have just read my mind with the next direction that I'm going to go in because the next part of the conversation is going to be looking at adapting. When I joined this project the Liverpool Vaccine Equity Project, and I started working with the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. My experience was working predominantly in South Liverpool and predominantly with minority ethnic communities. Since joining the project, my horizons have been broadened because I worked in the north of Liverpool with a target audience of white men between the ages of 18 to 50 years of age. And then I worked in central Liverpool working with the Chinese community, which I've never worked with before. All of these experiences, actually, I was able to gain a lot from them and adapt my way of working and recognise that each community has different methods of communicating with one another. On that same line of questioning, what did you learn from your experiences working on this project or working on the project that you're in at the moment? Look forward to hearing your thoughts.
2: I think I learned quite a lot. We realized that working directly with the communities has an impact. But when we come to dealing with, let's say, health services, you have a situation where a community member or a project has actually changed the narrative or the perception of the people towards health services. For instance, I'll give an example of antenatal care. So a situation where in Kenya, most mothers present late for their first antenatal care. So you find that you can have an intervention that actually changes you know, the mindset of the community. Now they have an interest towards starting antenatal care visits early. But this is a situation where they are willing to change, but then the systems, the health systems along the way is not really favorable. So, for example, let me use me, Mandela. I am a mother. I am willing to start my antenatal. Care early, and then I go to an health facility, and then I'm not able to still receive health services at this particular facility because they do not have adequate capacity or they do not have adequate, uh, say, testing materials that I really need. So, what we learned from there is it is quite important to align the existing um, Minister of Health structures and Align it with the community needs. So as much as you're trying to change the community, it is also very key to strengthen the systems uh, that provide services to the communities. So that is one key lessons that we learn from it.
1: On that point, Mandela, I'm so engaged with what you're saying and I'm really interested and I'll probably have you talking to me far longer than I should, but I'll follow up with a point of interest. Can you give an example of how you were able to align those two, the community interests and those health systems. When you're
2: doing community engagement, you need to have an agreement with the county in terms of the services that you intend to provide at the community level. So every step you walk towards intervention, the county person should be along with you. The county focal person for, let's say, community quality improvement should also be a copy of whatever intervention you have. So, in this regard, the Minister of Health should take the other bit of trying to ensure that commodities like test kits, like HIV test kits, malaria test kits, syphilis test kits, are actually available in the link facilities within the communities that we work in. Of course, this comes with a lot of political influence or social influence. So in cases of that, we talk to the county to actually lobby for these commodities from other sectors or from other facilities that the interventions are not taking place
1: you ever so much Mandela so much commonality between what's happening here in Liverpool with the community innovation teams and what's happening in Kenya especially around those conversations with multidisciplinary stakeholders and it not just being a top-down where the information's Coming down, and the instructions are coming down from the health providers. It's also coming from the community about how best to implement and apply the service delivery and allocate resources. I'm going to move on to Zach. Zach, I'm going to ask you the same question. What did you learn from your experiences throughout being involved in the Liverpool Vaccine Equity
3: Project? I think one of the main things I learned from the project was the importance of community and the importance of sitting at the table together. As you said about the hierarchy, being more with a level playing field, with different people making the decisions, coming together,
1: thank you very much when you're delivering projects of this kind we suffer something called projectitis short term funding you're competing with for funding with other organizations you know all of these things affect the sustainability of the project i know that within the project that you've been working on that your work's commissioned year on year and in terms of planning moving forward that p- must present some real challenges so in terms of the sustainability where do you think this work that you've been doing sits within the wider health systems framework how can we sell the value of what you've been doing and within that if you could just touch on how it's helping to address some of the wider health inequality work that's going on
3: the project started in between 2019 up until June 2020, it was, it was all about vaccinations, it was all about COVID-19. The project was successful and we've done a fantastic job. That was because we went into communities and all the things that I talked about, different events, explaining to people, myth-busting, and using the right ways of communication, we're going to use the same things that I have shown to be successful and hopefully we can get a good outcome out of it. That's the aim really, because if as long as the community champions are in place, help support the services. the Services such as the Primary Care Network, they've all shown and they've all accepted the importance of Community Champions. They need us as much as we need them and the communities need both of us. Otherwise, the communities are going to be abandoned and they won't understand and the, the inequalities will show. But it's really important for Community Champions and projects such as the Community Innovation Teams to be extended and to be recognised. On
1: that note, you've actually stated that this project should be embedded within those wider health systems and this way of working should be embedded within those wider health systems rather than organizations coming to you such as public health after they've thought of an idea to engage with those communities they're coming to you first now there's been a shift in that sense am I right
3: 100% over the past year we've seen the difference now services are coming to us before they've out the information. We're helping make it more representative of communities. We're working alongside different health organisations, Primary Care Network, Public Health England. These are massive organisations and now they're working with the communities and community champions to make sure that people are not left out. One of the quotes that I use for my own organisation is giving voice to the voiceless, representing the unrepresented. That's something that I'm passionate about.
1: You know what, Zach? I feel that is actually at the core of everything you're doing. Thank you for answering the question. I'm going to move over now to Mandela. So Mandela, in terms of sustainability... How do you think this sits within the wider health systems framework? And actually, more of a challenge for Kim and I and the listeners to the podcast, how do you think we can sell the value of what you're doing?
2: Thank you. In terms of sustainability, one of our main successes is aligning some of our interventions to the existing Ministry of Health structures. We tap the capacity of the community members. This is a situation where the community members themselves accept that there's need for change and there's need for coming up with solutions towards their challenges. The community has accepted that ideally we need this to bring change or to bring development in our community. So they will lobby. They lobby to channel some of their resources towards improving quality of health at particular communities or particular health delivery points. During this lobby, they will use our interventions just like Zach's. They have innovation teams. For us in Kenya, we use teams that we call work improvement teams. Once we develop a quality improvement team, uh, they tend to remain intact for a long duration of time. The other way we use to show value, we use research to actually know the needs of people. Data is always disseminated in uh, stakeholder platforms and maybe in blogs or YouTube.
1: Thank you, Mandela. So it's actually in terms of a sustainable model, it's a sustainable model because that's utilised now? as a way of working and understanding where the community needs are. And actually, even when something's being missed off, that it's a chance to pick up on those things and prioritise the needs of those communities, basically taking into consideration the data and research and the information that you've provided
2: that's true the twist with the work improvement teams is their members are from different walks of life in that particular community it's a whole group of several people at the community level that have powers to influence uh, the ideology that the communities have so they sit together they discuss some of their challenges and then they prioritize the ones they have
1: thank you very much I I have absolutely thoroughly enjoyed listening to you, Mandela, and Zach. And I really appreciate all the answers that you've given, which have, you know, got the cogs turning and got me thinking a lot, which brings me to my next question. I'm going to direct this one to Zach first. How do you think, Zach, learning has been applied from other contexts like Kenya? So for me, one of the biggest things that I picked up on was how the quality improvement model worked in Kenya in terms of getting local data in an understandable format. Can you give me an example?
3: I think you took the best one about the data. (laughs) The fact that normally as communities we won't delve into the data, you'll talk about opinions and you'll talk about what people are thinking. We delved into the data numbers and statistics. That's something that they'll never have access to. They could never go into communities and get them sort of surveys filled in. We went to communities and we, and we asked the people the reasons why they weren't getting the vaccinations and I think that was the same process in Kenya. Thank
1: you Zach. I'm gonna ask Mandela the same question. How do you think learning has been applied from other contexts? I know that you had different individuals like Miriam Tetmeyer and Vicky Doyle who worked alongside you in the project. Were there any other contexts that you felt that you learned from that you could share?
2: I know she will be listening someday. My supervisor, she's called Lynette Okoth. She's the senior technical advisor for community health in LVC Health. She will attest to the fact that for quite some time, community engagements have not been prioritized in Kenya. What we've learned from Liverpool, especially from Vicky and Miriam, is what we call quality revolution whereby let's not do a lot of talk about improving quality we can actually act uh, upon it so what we learned is if you actually engage the communities most diseases can be at the community level. But because we do a lot of talk, 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 and we don't actually act upon it, that's the reason why we have certain complications that reach referral stages.
1: I absolutely love that for a final answer. I think that's a new phrase that I will definitely be borrowing from you, Mandela, the quality revolution. I think what's been core throughout the conversations, and I'm sure you'll agree, Kim, in a minute, is that definitely... It's not been about talk, talk, talk. It's been the complete opposite. And I think action and empowering communities and engaging communities and moving things forward and including communities' priorities have been at the heart of both of what you've been sharing today, what both of you have been sharing. Now, I'm going to thank you. I'm finished with my questions and I'm going to gladly pass you over to my co-host, Kim. So welcome back, Kim.
0: Thank you very much. So the conversation has been wonderful. I love the the cross-contextual learning and how you've both reflected on that. We end the episode by asking you for one piece of advice that you would give to others who want to work in a similar way to yourself. Mandela, piece of advice
2: for others? One piece of advice I will give is tap the capacity of the community members in terms of how they know their communities, the needs of their communities, what their community really wants. It's good to tap on that. For Kenya or for African setups, another piece of advice is try to grow towards digital platforms of collecting community data because a lot of data is lost when we go to paperwork data collection. That's my advice to the world. Thank you.
0: Wonderful. Thank you very much. Some really key points there. Look out for community capacity and think about digitization of data and acting on that. Zach, one piece of advice, please.
3: My piece of advice would be partnership and networking is so important networking and meeting different people and making projects bigger and better and getting different voices and different studies and different things involved it makes projects and studies always better. My advice to services, the governments and the hierarchy and the, those on top would be to trust the communities. As it's not always about education and degrees and things like that. I'm educated and I've got a degree but some of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met don't have degrees and they don't have things that probably in this world would make them recognise, will make their opinion matter.
0: Thank you very much. Trust the communities. I like that a lot. Amina, take us home with one final piece of advice.
1: I think my final piece of advice is there's this perception that communities are really hard to reach. And I think one thing that this project has showed me is that communities actually are not hard to reach. A community-centred approach is the way that works. So, yeah, that's my piece of advice.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mandela. Thank you, Zach. And thank you, Amina. What a great episode this has been. And for sharing that learning uh, across the waters. Thank you to our listeners. As always, the voices you heard today cannot continue to be heard unless you follow, like, share, subscribe, sign up your dog, whatever you need to do to get more followers so that we can continue learning from each other. So thank you again and see you next time. Bye for now.
1: Thank you, Kim. Thank
2: Bye. You Bye. Thank you, Kim. Bye. Bye.